Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. The Other Hand is part of the ACAST Creator Network. Hey Jim, great to be back for the latest edition of The Other Hand. I'm going to kick off today by just marking the end of Davos week, which most people, maybe not everybody, will know is the World Economic Forum's annual meeting in a very shishi resort in Davos. Comes in for a lot of stick these days as a gathering of the world elites. This year has been no different, with tons of different stuff going on. A lot of different discussions, a theme running through the annual conference has been AI. And it's quite clear that an awful lot of people are very, very excited about AI. And a subset of those are very, very worried about AI, with some prominent people speculating, or at least worrying about what will actually happen when the threshold of uh, human intelligence is crossed when these machines become smarter than us. Uh, some people still think that won't happen. Some people think the consequences, if it does happen, will be benign. And those that are worried about it worry about it because they don't know what's going to happen. And I suspect none of us do. So AI, I think, is going to remain on our radar. Another thing that caught my eye was a speech by or a talk given by a Saudi minister in which a plan was presented or at least hinted at for a solution to the crisis in Gaza for the war to end and it seems to include critically the creation of a Palestinian state and an offer from the Saudis that they will recognize the state of Israel. This has immediately been knocked back by Benjamin Netanyahu and it seems to this observer at least that for any, this sort of plan to stand any chance of success it will require a different israeli government but what do i know uh, the the chances of anything like this coming to fruition while netanyahu is still in place seem to me to be pretty pretty remote uh, the americans have responded by saying that the two-state solution is the only solution and i think that's right 
but it strikes me that that solution is still a long way off. But nevertheless, it, it's very welcome that uh, some countries in the Middle East, these Arab countries, are trying their best to come up with a, a solution. The other theme of Davos this week is something that we have talked about a lot over the last few months, and that essentially is market participants, investors, all sorts of different investment bankers present at this elite gathering have been saying that interest rates are not going to come down in the way that the market has previously been expecting. And we've been watching and commenting on how the markets are, in fact, doing precisely that and the interest rate expectations that really got the markets carried away at the end of last year are being pushed back into the second half of next year, into next year, and nobody is really sure what to do now. And markets that are relying on interest rates, which is just about every market in the world, are flaking around not doing very much now. And we need to see, I think, a few more months of inflation data to get over the recent bumps in inflation that we've seen worldwide. Another big theme of Davos, and that's something I want to talk with you about today, Jim, has been Donald Trump 2.0, the potential, the likelihood, the probability that Donald Trump is going to be the next president of the United States, that this, I think, will be his third run for president. Uh, so that's right, isn't it? Yes. So he made, he was successful once, failed once, and now he's having another go. What does that actually mean? Christine Lagarde has been very forthright in her comments. Christine Lagarde is the boss of the European Central Bank. And she says, we have to fight, we being Europe. And she had two specific things that, that, that were mentioned. One, that the single market needs to be strengthened enormously. And the best way to fight Trump is economically. Uh, she acknowledged that the US voter has the right to elect whoever he or she wants. Um, but Europe needs to be ready with a bigger, stronger, better single market. And I think that both of us, I don't want to put words in your mouth, would echo those remarks. She had a very specific comment about deepening the capital markets union, strengthening Europe's financial markets as part of that push to um, deal with Donald Trump. But she was she used the word, we need Europe. We need to go on the attack if Donald Trump is to be the next president of the United States. And there have been a plethora of articles, loads and loads of articles in the FT, The Economist and everywhere else about what a second Trump presidency would bring. And most of them, with one or two exceptions, most of them are quite apocalyptic. The, the, the journalists seem to be falling over themselves to be, uh, shall we say, catastrophizing over the consequences of Trump. So let's start with the economics. I think the politics of Donald Trump are going to be just as important as the economics and very linked, of course. Um, the, the the final thing about Davos that I would say is that most people have been listening to our podcast, Jim, because they have all been saying that the thing that's most important for markets this year is not interest rates or inflation, important that those things are, but the geopolitical situation is going and is critical to what's going to happen to all of us, both from an economic and financial point of view and from a whole host of other politics, other other perspectives. So geopolitics is the thing, and front and center of that, but not the only thing front and center, of course, is the prospect of the return of Trump. So I'll shut up there and uh, hand it over to you, Jim. And what do you think Trump is going to do on his first day? Okay, Chris, uh, before I answer that question, um, I think it is worth thinking about the 
level of attention that Trump is getting and the narrative is very, very one-sided. Um, you know, you, you, you've mentioned what's being said in Davos, but if you look at a lot of the uh, media, it's exactly the same. Um, I watched, as a little bit of a counterbalance, I watched an interview with Jamie Dimon in the last 24 hours. Uh, he's the head of one of the world's most successful banks, JP Morgan. And he made the point that voters don't vote on the family values of Trump, that they vote on what he says and what he's correct about. And he cites four things that Trump actually has been right about. You can agree or disagree, and listeners will agree or disagree, but one is on NATO. Um, he had a serious problem. He has had a serious problem with the fact that the United States is the major funder of NATO and that Europe has not stepped up to the plate. I think he's correct about that, actually. And if you hear a lot of the discussion about what Europe needs to do in many different areas, uh, one of them certainly is to um, stand up to its responsibilities on the defence side. Secondly, he what he's been saying about China, um, a lot of that actually has proved correct and is coming to pass. Uh, thirdly, his attitude towards immigration. Um, you know, I, I guess this is probably one area that is most contentious and people will disagree with, but he identified immigration as a massive problem for the United States. And many people would say he's correct about that. Um, and the final thing he said he's got right is that basically the tax policies that he followed um, have boosted the IT sector, particularly in the United States. So Diamond is looking at that track record of where Trump has got it right. And um, he's basically saying that this is the stuff that got him elected and that probably um, may just get him elected again. But anyway, that's a slightly different perspective. Uh, what do you think? Well, from a man that um, it was also announced this week, I think he earned $35 million last year. And uh, I think by definition, therefore, he is a member of this, uh, a gold-plated member of this global elite that comes in for so much criticism. And I don't know whether people will take much notice of what Mr. Diamond says. And they no, but is he wrong? That's the point, not what people think. Well, was Diamond wrong? Uh, he's right to say that immigration is an issue. Whether it's the, the right issue or people talk about it and analyse it in the right way um, remains to be seen. The US economy is always, US society, the US as a country has always been a country of immigrants. And uh, while I think everybody would agree that immigration needs to be managed, the way in which Trump has attempted to manage this by building walls, by denigrating, by demonizing immigrants, by calling them all sorts of names that often have strayed into racist But we're seeing that in this country at the moment. It doesn't make it right, though, Jim. No, does it, it doesn't. But it's, you know, it's it's what many people believe. Yes. And I think we need to acknowledge that this is what people believe and ask what we can do to manage those beliefs or help manage those beliefs and point out, as we do, that immigration is, is vital for economic growth, um, for, particularly for countries like Ireland that are operating with labour shortages. The United States has one, the United Kingdom has one, bizarrely, and that immigrants have always formed an important part of the workforce. The reason why we first started taking immigrants in the 1950s, really, from the Caribbean, 
which was the first great influx of post-war immigration into the United Kingdom. Um, and that has had lots of blowback. There was something called the Windrush scandal associated with the way in which a lot of the descendants, the, the immigrants themselves and their descendants were treated was, was disgraceful. So I think that, yes, every country has a problem with immigration. Um, every country has a section of its society that is just anti-immigration. The uh, eminent Brexiteer, Lord David Frost, who was Boris Johnson's chief Brexit negotiator, had an article in the Daily Telegraph, I think it was this week, saying that immigration should be reduced immediately in the UK to as near zero as possible. Uh, that doesn't make any sense at all from an economic need perspective. And we also have to stray into, or not stray, but explicitly address the extent to which any country has legal responsibilities, thanks to international treaty obligations with respect to refugees, and the extent to which we need to honour or change those treaties, and uh, ask the question, are we trying to manage immigration from an economic and social perspective? And I think it's the social perspective is the most interesting one, because what a lot of people who are not racists say is that too much immigration produces too much social change, and we don't like that. And I think people are more than entitled to say we don't like too much change. All societies should evolve. And um, we import lots of good things when we get immigrants and exposure to their culture, their food, their music, their way of life often becomes part of our way of life. Our cuisine, our culture owes a lot to immigration and all of those things are good things. But it, it remains a fact that most many people are resistant to some level of change that is amounts to too much. And I think that needs to be acknowledged. It's a difficult one to manage. But I think change should be gradual rather than massive. And that's what these people are saying. What I think I would reject is the extent to which anti-immigration stances are just based on pure racism. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and that clearly is, is a factor at work here and uh, should be um, robustly um, defended against. And it's part of, a, I think, a wider problem that we face in our societies across a whole host of economic and social policies is that this is a very complicated area, Jim, and requires deep thought, deep analysis, careful explanation, uh, and a great deal of thought devoted to it, and a great deal of sensible, fact-based debate, even when things like how much social change can we accept these sorts of questions need to be addressed and their complexity acknowledged. Instead, we get sound bites, we get slogans, and we get very, very shallow thinking, not just with immigration, but with all sorts of issues. And I think it's one of the flaws of our democracies. We're, we're very short term and we're, we're very sound bite, dare I say, social media uh, driven. And as, as part of growing up, I think we need to do a bit of that and acknowledge that we, we need to... Um, discuss these issues in much greater depth, in much greater detail than we do at the moment, and, and to acknowledge the complexity and that both sides have arguments. And we need to thrash out to the extent that we can, to the extent that we are democracies capable of doing this, honourable compromises. And uh, we're not doing that. Um, putting bombs in hostels is not exactly the answer, is it, Jim? Well, the question is, Chris, who put the bomb in the hostel? Okay. Well, I don't know. Does yeah, anybody? Neither do I. Um, but it may not be as clear because you think. No, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't that's think it's clear. And that's certainly what I'm hearing. But anyway, um, 
it, it remains to be seen. Okay, um, mm. probably shouldn't speculate about it at this stage. But I mean, uh, t- ten years ago, I wrote a paper with a, hung- a report with a Hungarian economist looking at the beneficial impact of immigration on the Irish economy over the decades. And um, I think immigration is an incredibly positive economic and social force, to be honest, because I've said before, I grew up in an Ireland that was 99.9% white, um, male-dominated society and um, was uh, beholden to the Catholic Church pretty much okay so I, I i think immigration has really um introduced a lot of positive change into irish society and the irish economy so jim is um, there such but, a thing as too much immigration well this, this is the question chris and i think this is the, the real point i was about to get to there was that um the, the we have elections in european elections in june we have local elections in this country in june as well at the same time and I was talking to a TD in in the, the Oireachtas the other day who was saying to me, you know, he just believes that the local elections here and the European elections throughout Europe will just be dominated by the issue of immigration. Um, and that's why it is really important insofar as one can to get a sensible, balanced, objective discussion and debate going about immigration. Um, but the, the, the signs we see down in Ross Gray about Ross Gray being full and that the schools couldn't accommodate. Well, some of the schools in Ross Gray came out in the last couple of days saying, actually, they're not full, that they can accommodate more students. So a, a proper balanced debate is needed. But it's not possible because if you start to question this, you're immediately branded as racist um, and that and that's a problem. But it, no, it, I do uh, think, Jim, that it's right to ask the question: How much yeah. is it? How much is the the right level of immigration from the needs of the immigrants themselves, from 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 their perspective, and the needs of the country as a whole? And uh, that's the debate that we're not having. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Go, going back to the, the whole question about Trump um, as I say, that was uh, a counter point made by, uh, or a counter view made by Jamie Dimon. But you asked me the question about the economic implications of Trump. And, and I guess one of the problems we have is that Trump is a man of few fixed beliefs. You know, he changes his mind, he flip flops, depending on wh- what way the wind is blowing. And, you know, what he said a year ago or when he was president is kind of irrelevant now because he may do something totally different if reelected again. Um, he said in a 
one of the um, talks before the caucus in Iowa, he said that he was too busy to take retribution against his political enemies if he was elected. He would be too busy because there was too many other issues to deal with. Um, and that flies in the face of stuff he said before about his desire to take political retribution against his political enemies. The, but who are the, the, yeah. He often refers to them as the Biden crime family. He does, he does indeed, yeah, absolutely. But lo looking at the economic side, um, he's talking about a 10% tariff on all imports into the United States. He's talking about a 60% tariff on imports from China, potentially. He describes Biden's renewable energy agenda, which I totally agree with. He, sorry, I agree with Biden's agenda, not what Trump says about it. And Trump describes it as the green new scam. Um, he's talking about the deportation of illegal immigrants. And in an economy that is very, very uh, highly employed at the moment with significant labor market tightness, um, the deportation of illegal immigrants could hu cause huge economic problems, particularly if you look at the horticulture and agriculture in California, for example, where many illegal immigrants actually keep that industry and that sector going. And there's many other sectors throughout the country. Um, what else is there? There is the possible interference with the operations of the Federal Reserve. And um, a, a columnist in the Financial Times today, Sumea Keynes, um, she wrote a piece about his possible attitude towards the Federal Reserve. And um, one, one of the problems the Federal Reserve has is that if it does what it wants to do, which is to delay rate cuts until it's sure that the battle against inflation is run, it means that those rate cuts could be delivered very close to the election in November. And that would immediately be branded by Trump as a pro-Biden um, policy action by the Federal Reserve. So there's all sorts of possibilities. In May 26, Jay Powell's term as chairman, he is chairman of the Federal Reserve, is up. And the question then is, who does he replace Powell with? And, you know, there's a distinct possibility. Obviously, he will put in his own political appointee with his own view of the world. So there's a huge amount of economic uncertainty here. And you'd have to say, None of what he's describing actually, when it comes down to it, is fundamentally good for the U.S. economy or good for U.S. business. Um, but as I said at the beginning there, the problem really is that he is a man of few fixed beliefs. It's hard to really understand what he might be like in a second term in office. And um, the one thing that you can be guaranteed is a lot of chaos. Well, that that ten percent tariff, of course, has, carries echoes of the nineteen thirties because it, a lot will depend on what other countries then do. Will there be tit for tat trade retaliation amounting to a trade war? And I think most economists would agree that would not be a, a good thing. But it's been noticeable that the tariffs that he put on Chinese imports into the United States um, have stayed. Biden, if anything, has extended them, and. Uh, that has reduced U.S. economic growth and raised prices for U.S. consumers. It's contributed to the inflation problem, 
Um, but of course, it's very difficult to point out to anybody with any precision just what it has meant to them in terms of you know the effect on their pocketbook, their wallet, as we like to say. So uh, there's a lot of what ifs here. And as, as you rightly say, we don't know what he's actually going to do. And none of those economic consequences are bad. But I don't think any provided there isn't a big global trade war, which I don't think there will be, actually. I think people, I think there will be some retaliation, but I think most other governments will try to keep it in check, aware of the risks that they're running. And so a 10% tariff would be painful for the world economy, but it wouldn't be catastrophic. It would, would be analogous to a similar move in the dollar, which frankly does, does happen. The, the thing that I think most people are worried about is not the economics, worrying though the economics are, um, it's the political things that he will do. You've mentioned NATO earlier on in the pod, and of course he's threatened to pull the US out of NATO. Jamie Dimon's remarks about NATO were well made, and I've made the similar ones on this podcast, which is that the rest of the world, the free world, freeloads on US military spending. And the time has long since passed when countries, particularly those in Europe, should be spending much more on their own defence, particularly given the geopolitical environment that we face. Ukraine is being defunded by both Viktor Orban and the Republicans in Washington, D.C. And one of the things that came out of Davos this week is that Zelensky was there and it's been reported that uh, a White House official, I think Biden's national security advisor, on the sidelines of the conference, told Zelensky that he now has to switch to defense rather than offense, that his big counteroffensive, the Ukrainian counteroffensive of 2023, failed. And now he has to dig in and just defend that front line that is very static in eastern Ukraine right now. In many ways, that's just a reflection of reality. That is actually what's happening. So I don't know why they're telling Ukraine that's what they've got to do. What's also emerged is that the Americans are very pissed off with the Ukrainian military in that they didn't adopt the combined arms tactics, the very complicated ways in which modern armies are supposed to conduct counteroffensives. But that, that's an aside. Um, I think that uh, the world just isn't waking up to what could happen if Putin could win in Ukraine. And, and that, of course, is connected to um, Donald Trump's possible presidency. Uh, it could well be that one thing that happens after the uh, election of Donald Trump is that Putin goes on the offensive and takes uh, more of Ukraine, if not all of it, God forbid. Uh, and that's why people in the Baltics um, po uh, and Poland and Moldova uh, are all extremely worried about what 2025 and 2026 could bring for them. And one of the, as, as, again, as an aside, the world is sitting on over 300 billion of US, uh, sorry, Russian foreign exchange reserves. And I only learned this morning, actually, where most of those reserves are. I was astonished. They're in Belgium. Did you know that, Jim? I didn't, actually. No. They're being, they're being held by Euroclear, which is a big pan-European financial institution and uh, headquartered in Brussels, I believe. And the Belgians are the only country. This is a sentence that I never thought I would utter. The Belgians are the only country that's done something interesting with these foreign exchange reserves. Because interest is payable on these reserves, uh, they are, the interest is taxable. And Belgium is using its tax revenues to give Ukraine the money that, it, that it's getting from Russian interest payments. 
So there's all these bonds usually being held in Brussels and elsewhere. It's not just in, in Belgium. Um, and Western, Europe, Western European and US taxpayers are paying interest payments on these bonds being held by the Russian Central Bank, all frozen, of course. And everybody's wringing their hands saying, what are we going to do with this? The money should be used to uh, refinance and re-equip Ukraine. And I think eventually they're going to have to do something like that. But if Donald Trump is president, I suspect that sort of thing just isn't going to happen. Um, any sort of extra help for Ukraine just isn't isn't going to be forthcoming, would, would be my guess. So Zelensky would be dreading, uh, would, one of the people dreading most, a Trump presidency. Uh, I don't know how the Chinese think of Donald Trump. Um, they won't like the tariffs. They won't like the trade war. But the America first agenda of Donald Trump strongly suggests that if they went for Taiwan, that he wouldn't intervene. That's a guess. And they would be guessing just as much as I am, I suspect. But, at the, you know, I think other things being equal, as we like to say, the Chinese would be much more inclined to have a go at Taiwan under a Trump presidency than any other. So I think the geopolitics of Trump are going to be more, much more important than than the economics. And there's also, I don't know, Jim, just the the whole atmosphere, the zeitgeist, if you like, that Trump creates, in which the language that is used, the um, the the hints of racism, the misogyny, the Islamophobia, uh, his ban on Muslim immigrants into the United States, he's threatening to repeat that. It creates an overall, an overarching environment that is just horrible to live in, isn't it? I mean, I just, I just, if I was an American citizen, I must say I would be dreading the, the return of Trump because I just think it would be oppressive on a day-to-day -day living perspective, just having to listen to this guy, having to watch the newspapers and the news feeds of our various uh, media outlets and seeing all this stuff that he says, um, and often it's stuff that he says rather than he does, and dreading what he's actually going to do next. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you rather, if you were a citizen of a country, have a, have a grown-up rather than a man-child, a self-absorbed uh, narcissist? He's, yeah, he's often I, described in those terms. I, I have to agree with you, Chris. I would dread the prospects of another Trump presidency, although the impact directly on my life would be pretty minimal. But having to listen to that sort of rubbish and the way he behaves, um, I, I would dread it actually happening. And I breathed a very strong sigh of relief back in January 21 when Trump formally, well, took him a while to get rid of him, but when he formally left office. So, yeah, I, I couldn't possibly see it. But when you look at what he achieved in Iowa during the week with a 30 point margin victory, uh, there is a strong possibility. Obviously, he uh, will run for the Republicans and that he could well be the next president of the United States. Um, he, I guess another aspect of his economic piece is his deficit funded tax cuts. Um, you know, but you, you could turn around and say, well, actually Biden has deficit funded expenditure. Okay. If you yeah. want to put it that way. The U S uh, should not be running the deficits that it's running, should not be building no, up the debt it, that it's it, building it, up. It should not. So it's, it's Tweedledum and Tweedledee in terms of, um, economic policy towards the public finances. Why but, in the name of God, Jim, is Jim is Biden running again? Yeah, wouldn't you wonder? You really would wonder. What are the Democrats thinking? What is Biden himself thinking? Yeah. You know, he's he's a, he's a very smart bloke, but, you know, he is showing signs of physical decline. I've no idea about cognitive. Um, but the other worry, of course, is that some people think that Trump is showing signs of cognitive decline as well. 
but we're, that's impossible to diagnose at, at, at a distance. These are two very old men um, fighting over um, the future of all of our futures to a certain extent, and it's, it's a very depressing prospect. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree with you. Um, but, you know, having said all of that, it is going to be a fascinating uh, few months ahead of us, and I think every... Um, right-wing not around the world will be watching the u.s election with great interest and it'll that, be and that for me summarizes the the point i was trying to make yeah. they're stumbling towards and didn't quite get there because i got tongue-tied is that it will give another push a philip a boost to the right-wing thing that is going on everywhere in the world apart from ireland um where you know your next government um almost exclusively in the world rather than being a right-wing populist government is going to be a left-wing populist government so ireland stands out in terms well of poland does well actually well they've got donald tusk now haven't they they have yeah but they did he he is at war with um his president mm. who was a supporter of um tusk predecessor so mm. um but yeah i mean poland certainly moved in the direction that ireland is probably likely to move in over the next 15 months uh but Fascinating and scary stuff. Chris, you were talking about what's going on in Davos. I don't know, did you get time to watch the 23 or 4 minutes of the speech given by Javier Milay, the president of Argentina? I haven't seen the whole speech, but I've seen several reports of it. He travelled at the back of the plane to Davos and is certainly his own man. And um, I, I, I... fully intend to read the speech i was going to write something about it actually because it, it strikes me that he is an absolutely fascinating character on the world stage at the moment yeah he is he, he had a real go at socialism and collectivism and he spoke about the damage it has done to argentina over the last century and he he went into a long discussion of economic activity or the lack of economic growth up to 1800 which is something you were speaking about on this podcast recently um, and that the growth we've seen since 1800 has been largely driven by um, the growth of capitalism. So it's a staunch defense of capitalism. It is a staunch attack on socialism and collectivism, as he calls it. But it's an absolutely fascinating 23, 24 minutes. So when you get to sit through it, uh, I'd love to get your observations on it. Um, whether you agree or disagree, I I loved, I really enjoyed listening to it because it's a fresh perspective. And, and I think I always hope that I'm actually open to all sorts of ideas. I listen to everything because uh, the one thing I would not describe myself is a liberal. And I would describe a liberal as somebody who's open to all views as long as they agree with their own. Um, I think liberals are the most closed minded people that um, you can get at the moment, at least the modern brand of liberalism we see around the world. I'll I'll conclude my remarks by sort of agreeing with you, because I I probably do describe myself myself as a bit of a liberal, a bit of a woolly one. Uh, I do think that the reason why we are discussing Donald Trump, the rise of Donald Trump, the rise of populism everywhere, is the failure of liberals to deliver for, for people, for their societies. And it's the failure of liberalism that I think we're dealing with. Yeah, Chris, um, just to wrap it, uh, and, and, and I'm sort of 
handing over to you on this in the sense that, well, at least I am perhaps partially surrendering on this. We had UK retail sales for December released this morning, Friday, a 3.2% month-on-month decline, much worse than expected. And it is estimated that it will knock 0.15% off GDP growth during the month of December. One of the reasons given for the extreme weakness was that the Black November, Black Friday, um, November sales this year started earlier and were more aggressive than in previous years, and that a lot of people did most of their shopping for Christmas in November, and consequently we had a weak December. But there's probably more at play than that. I think it is consistent with um, a lot of the narrative we get out of the UK economy. But anyway, um, so I totally accede to you on the economic weakness piece it was a pretty dreadful number but before i give you a chance to counter that i want to counter myself by saying that google is currently investing one billion dollars in a data center um, in waltham cross which is in northeast london and Rishi shunak is taking that as a major voter conference in the uk economy and the uk tech sector particularly yeah, well, data centres have got to go somewhere. Um, I, I read a lot about how you in Ireland don't want them anymore um, because they're not terribly green things. Yes, we don't want data centres. We don't want wind farms. We don't want solar farms. We don't want houses that are too high. We don't want immigrants. immigrants. Yeah, it's very easy to say no, isn't it? Yeah, mm-hmm. the whole point about UK growth is one that you and I have kicked around a lot and you take the mickey out of me for my pessimism. And I, I've conceded to you on occasions when the UK has grown more strongly than I thought, but I stick to my guns, which is that it's simply an economy that hasn't in any material way now grown for a decade and a half. And that has contributed to a lot of economic problems, obviously. But part of the reason why this incumbent government is floundering is because of a lack of economic growth. And we've talked a lot about that. And I see no reason why notwithstanding Google's investment of a billion dollars in um, obviously what must be a brownfield site, I would guess, in London. I'm amazed they've got the space for it in London. And a lot of people will be up in arms saying it should be housing rather than data centers being built in that part of the world. But there we are, Um, you know, two steps forward, two steps backward. That's the UK at the moment. Yeah, couldn't disagree with that. Listen, Chris, great to talk again. Um, Do have a great weekend. Apparently, we're going to get a massive change in weather here in Ireland. Uh, Very, very cold week. We're in for a weekend of wind and a lot of rain. Enjoy. Cheers, Jim. See you, Chris. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.